Well, good morning. I'm really glad you're here for this first Sunday as we begin a series on prayer. And, and really, one of our deep desires uh, that we've been praying about as a leadership and as a church and among others is that we would build a foundation of prayer, enter this year in prayer, and, and seek God to begin this week in fasting. You may not know much about that, uh, but I just want to share with you a few of the benefits of fasting. You, you save time. You spend less. You see life's priorities more clearly. You learn to maintain life balance. You increase your gratitude. It allows hidden areas of weakness and susceptibility to rise to the surface. It helps you develop greater self-control. It can help you grow in, hum- in humility and allow you to go deeper with God. And beyond that, there's a bunch of physical improvements as well. There is the possibility through what is called intermittent fasting in, in, in the medical world. And, and some people do this just for physical reasons. It, it can produce a stronger immune system, better brain function, speed up your metabolism, a better sense of when you're truly hungry, clean up toxins and regulate functioning of other organs of the body, such as the liver and kidneys and colon and more. And, and, and for some of you might be interested, it actually can clean up your skin and help you with acne. We just had all the high school kids leave. They could have heard that. But, um, and basically help you live longer. In fact, scientific studies have, have shown in, in a number of these studies that it can prevent heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's, it, it promotes various cellular repair processes, reduces oxidative uh, stress, which speeds up aging and produces chronic diseases. And that's just from a medical standpoint. And here's the other thing. It costs you nothing. It requires no time, in a sense. It's, a, it, it's not a pill. It's, you don't need a membership. You don't need a new exercise plan. You don't really need anything at all. It's been done for ages. It has a proven track record. And it can fit easily into a person's life. And so I would love for you, as we step into this year of prayer and we begin to talk about fasting... I would love for you to think about it as a benefit. There's a bunch of them, but one of the benefits as well is specifically how God might deal with you and speak with you and then speak with us as a body. We are a a body of people who believe connected to a head, Jesus Christ. And I I want you to be thinking about this um, in in, in a positive and a healthy way. And and I talked about intermittent fasting. That is that idea that that there is times where where you might fast. And and you have to figure out, and what we're asking people to do is figure out what that means for them. And so with all the New Year's resolutions and things, all I want you to do is not to think beyond this week, but to say, God, in some way, are you calling me, are you inviting me from this January 4th through 9th to participate in this and join us maybe on Wednesday and Saturday as a part of this kind of desire and hunger in prayer for God. Historically and biblically, fasting was not merely uh, the practice of not eating food, which we really kind of know as dieting. Fasting was a form of denying a fleshly physical appetite for the purpose of heightening your spiritual hunger and sensitivity. And um, 
It can be done in a number of ways. In the, in the Bible, you'll see, and historically, it's been more about food. And, and, and it's been more about that, and there's different ways that people do it, and you can find literature on it. There's, there's a no food and water fast that could be done for a meal, a three meals, maybe for a few days or for a week. There's different ways to do it. Uh, there's actually, a, in recorded in history, one person who went for 40 days. His name was Jesus. Um, <clears throat> There's, there's a, a no food, just water and juices kind of fast. And, and for some of you, um, you know, like sometimes you fast just for a little, for a night in order to go to the doctor and they want to take some, right? They tell you, you can still drink coffee. I encourage you because you may want to, if you're a coffee drinker, not do something really rapidly because you'll get a real pain in your head and you'll be a real pain to others. So, you know, think about this whole thing. Sometimes there's a fruit and vegetable fast. Uh, and, and, and the biblical fast was around food, but we really want us to think about this in a, in a greater way because it may not be just food for you. It may be social media. It may be TV or newspaper reading. Some people I know just, you got to read the newspaper. It may be any number of ways of what we're asking you to do is open up some space this week for God to meet you. Uh, I don't know what that looks like for you. It may be in food. It may be in some social media. It may be that you don't read the newspaper and then you take and you say, God, I'm giving you this space this week for you to fill it, for you to show up, for you somehow to even just teach me, lead me in some way. And, and if you're here for the first time or you've been visiting for a little bit over the last couple of months, you're kind of going, whoa, I didn't, what am I getting myself into? Is this some radical group? Well, let me share with you. I don't know if the church ever in its history has done anything like this. We are, in a sense, calling people to just say, let's make some space. What does that look like in prayer? And so this first message is prayer and fasting. You may be thinking, well, I've heard about fasting. I understand it. In fact, I know it was in the Old Testament. But I think Jesus, you know, that's a legalistic thing that Jesus got rid of. That we don't, you know, it's not necessary. And no one's saying it's necessary. Or you may be thinking that fasting is really just for some of the few who really are a little bit more fanatical. I, I don't know. But all I would like to do this morning is to explain to some who might go, what is this about? I'd like to possibly challenge some of you who are kind of on the fence saying, you know, I've heard this, I, I've read a couple, I've thought about this, I've heard the church mention this. Maybe I'd like to hopefully challenge you to think about what it means for you to open some space this week. And then for those of you who are on board and encouraged, I, I really hope just to inspire you as you move forward, however you choose to participate. So what I want to do this morning is just share with you a couple of different questions around this whole idea of fasting. And someone after the first service said, just thank me. Someone who has been um, a person I've really looked up to in the faith and, and, and just said, this is really helpful just to hear some of these questions. So I hope it's helpful to you. The first is this, why would you want to do a fast? Is there any biblical basis for this, not just Old Testament? Is it more than some kind of religious fanatical idea, some spiritual fad, maybe some novel idea, or maybe, you, maybe you're thinking, you know, I gorged myself the last few weeks, a fast's not a bad idea, right? I want you to think more than that. There is actually New Testament precedence for this. I want you to understand, and you may not realize it, but biblical fasting has always been a normal part of a relationship with God. Throughout history, people who have followed and have been believers of Jesus Christ have practiced from time to time. Not everybody. 
But I want to first tell you, as we talk about why would you want to do it, I, I want you to be really clear on this. Fasting is not a work. Somehow that if you do it, you're gaining merit before God. In some way, God is going, I really approve of you and I accept you. That was done. That's the meal we celebrated. That's what the cross represents. Your ability to be in the presence of God, finding his acceptance, is totally based on a work that he did and no work you could ever do. Okay? But it's not about works, trying to get some kind of, you know, greater acceptance before God. Not at all. Okay? What fasting, in our understanding, practice, what we're asking people to do is to exercise, open space in their life so that they can align. And, and this is what these exercises do, to align your heart with God, to open your ears to God, to strengthen your spirit as you serve God, to increase your hunger for God by simply closing your mouth or maybe denying some physical appetite. Does that make sense? It's allowing the flesh to be able to be denied to say no so the spirit can be awakened and made more sensitive. And what I want you to realize when I talk about the New Testament precedence for this is that Jesus fasted, Jesus taught fasting as an important spiritual habit, and the early church, the first followers of Jesus, fasted as a practice. From time to time, you'll read it, they were some kind of regular fasting. First, let's just talk about Jesus and the fact that he fasted, he did it. If you look at Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, you see where it says this. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, while for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Catch this. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. Now, I, I just love Luke, because I love that last little line. And at the end of them, he was hungry. And I want to go, well, duh. Which is exactly what he wants you to say. Because what he's trying to help you understand in that day where people were saying God was just a, a deity and, and, and he wasn't fully human, he's going, no, he was. He was fully God and fully man. And we know that because when he went hungry, he felt it. And it's important to know the humanity, the understanding of that. And that's why I kind of read that and I go, wow, Luke is doing precisely what he wants us to respond with. And that is, wow, Jesus was human. He was like us in every way, but he never sinned. And fasting for Jesus wasn't an easy thing. I don't think it was a necessary, you know, he was not some superhuman person. He was God in flesh. He was human and he felt not only his hunger, but I'm sure he felt like, I don't want to do that. Matthew, Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 13, talks about how the Spirit is involved in this. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. What's really interesting in the Greek in this language here, it's not just the word sent. It has much more the idea he drove him into the wilderness. You can look this up in studies. It's the idea he compelled him by the Spirit within and, and drove him into this wilderness experience. And we'll talk about why in a little bit. So Jesus fasted. Jesus taught it. Matthew chapter 6. In fact, the greatest sermon that Jesus ever gave, you find in Matthew chapter 6, which is the sermon on the mount. Oh, very good. And he begins at one point in verse 1, and then in verse 2, 5, and 16, and 18, he talks about these exercises. But he says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll never have a reward from your Father in heaven. Now, his point here is he's basically standing against our natural tendency. We can get all mad at the Pharisees, but we're all Pharisees at heart. 
Every one of us has this desire for people to look at us and go, boy, well, he's really spiritual. She, wow, she goes to 20 women's studies. You know, I mean, you know what I mean? And, and, and what he's, Jesus is kind of saying is, don't ever use these kind of practices in such a way that you're trying to get people to notice how spiritual you are. In fact, he also goes on and he says, it's not about that. In fact, it's not even about trying to in some way impress God. So then he lists three things. So here's what you notice. Jesus lists three important spiritual practices. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. So when we pass the plates, don't go, okay? Simply, and you guys won't do that, but I just have to tell our elders because they get real excited. Anyway, um, when you fast, do not, and when, it says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. You know, be really careful. Now, now I also want to guard us in this way, too. Sometimes people in authentic worship in their experience are giving their heart to God. You have to be very careful not to judge your heart. His point is, you alone know your heart. God knows your heart. So be really careful when you do these things. You're not doing it to impress anybody. But you're doing it out of your heart of love for God. And then he says, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you fast, put on oil on your head and wash your face. He's basically saying, you know, put some makeup on, look good. Uh, it's kind of what the oil was in that day was, you know, you know, guys, get your hair so it's not all, you know, look good. And then he says, um, so that it will be, not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen, and your father who sees what is done in secret, he'll be the one who notices. He'll be the one to provide whatever is necessary as you enter into this. So you notice these three things that he wants us to be very careful about. But what I want you to also notice is that Jesus does not say here, don't give, don't pray, and don't fast. These are actual spiritual exercises. If you were, you know, here's the thing I was thinking about this. Um, I really want to value my health. I like the idea of health. And there are certain practices you can do that can increase your health. Like you can eat, you know, good food. Someone said to me today, I'm going to go on as fast. I'm just going to eat fast food. Well, you don't, that's, you don't want to do that. Okay? You can do things like exercise. You can do aerobic activity. I've been told as you get older, you're supposed to really make sure your muscles stay strong because you lose so much muscle mass. You can do things for your health. Now, I might like the idea of that, but the reality of it is if I really want to grow into my health and become more healthy, i got to enter into these practices that make me that way. All Jesus is saying is this. These are not bad practices. Just be careful when you do them. These practices can actually help promote the work and transformation of your heart and your soul before God if you do them with the right heart. And one of the things we're asking you to do is to consider during this week, and maybe it'll be something that God will teach you to want to do later on and lead you to want to do later on, but we're just saying make some space. I don't care how you want to do it. Even if it's a little bitty step of saying, I'm not going to have dessert but make some space in your week, in your life, in your day, and say, God, with a bunch of other people, I'm opening up some room as we step into this new year 
as a way of saying, God, we want you as a people here. You want that? I, we, I do. The early church practiced this. Acts 13, 1 through 3. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, which who was, has been brought up with his friend, with Herod the Tetrarch. It doesn't say his friend, but they were friends, and they were brought up actually in Rome with Caligula. They, I mean, it, there's a history there, and I, we won't go into that. It's a whole other story. And, and Saul... Catch this, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, these are early believers, pretty excited about what God was doing, in a place called Antioch, not in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had scattered and moved up now, and a lot of the work was happening up in this little, in this city called Antioch, which we'll talk about later. And he said, the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul and the work to which I've called them. So after they have fasted and prayed, again... They placed their hands on them and sent them off. Chapter 14 is kind of interesting because they're doing this missionary first tour. You know, Barnabas and Saul, their team going around. is really cool because you read this, you see at a certain point, it's saying Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul, and all of a sudden it changes to Paul and Barnabas. It actually calls him Paul. There's a reason. There's a work, there's anointing. There was a place where God was not putting his name on him because there was a calling on Paul's life as a result of that change. His whole identity was changed with a new name. And that's another message. We won't go into that. The followers of Jesus would pray and at times they would fast. And we want to look at when. We're going to look at that as a question. So the second question I want us to think about. So if there's some, I hope that you see there's some New Testament precedence to this. This is not just some legalistic thing that was done. And been people go, oh, Jesus said, you know, John fasted and I came parting and having a good time. And, 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 and when the bridegroom did all this stuff around that, and he, you know what? His point was not that these aren't supposed to be done. His point was when, when, the, when the party's here, you party. And so he's making, a, I think, a point here that these things are important when he gives these. So what does God do through fasting? Have you ever thought of that? That's when I met with this person after they just said they were really grateful because what you find here is that Jesus and Mark is led, driven, compelled to go into the wilderness. But really what's interesting is Jesus is really uh, mirrors what happened years before. This was a pattern of who was to come in Jesus. And the pattern was this. Israel is in bondage in Egypt and God takes Israel, does all this stuff, breaks them free, leads them, compels them to go. He calls Moses to go past the shortcut into the promised land right in front of the sea and leads them right there. So they move into a place where they experience the wilderness and they experience fasting. And so we come to this passage. It's meant a lot to me when I have fasted at times throughout my life in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And in Deuteronomy, Moses is, is reminding the people in a sense of why they were in the wilderness and on this fast. It's a great passage. If you're going to enter into this and, and maybe do a fast or be involved in some way, this might be one you want to just meditate on. Verse 1, be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and catch this, possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. 
Folks, Jesus has saved you. He's given you his life. But we are all meant to grow in possessing that life. There is a promised life of walking with him and of knowing him and of seeing him work through us and developing us. And that life is something that you are called to possess. That's one of the reasons why you do exercises of giving. Giving isn't something that God doesn't need your money. He needs your heart. He wants a generous heart. When it comes to prayer, God doesn't necessarily need you to pray. He wants you to be in conversation with him because he wants you to be aware that he's with you every day, everywhere you go. God doesn't need you to fast. Your heart needs it because your heart needs to move to a place where you begin to realize how hungry you are for the things of God and not the things of this world. So that's when you look at this passage. He goes on and he says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. And 40 years is important. All You look through 40 all throughout the scripture. It's a purifying time. 40 is about purification. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart and whether or not you'd keep his commands. Verse 4, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You heard that before? Right? Where was that? Jesus said it in the wilderness that he was in for 40 days when he was fasting. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. That's a really big thing when you're in the desert to not have physical maladies. It's kind of like if you're running a marathon. You have problems with your feet. You got what? Big problems. So he says, look how I cared for you. In verse 5, know then in your heart is that it's a man disciplines or trains. I, I like the word trains here. His son, so the Lord your God trains you. The primary thing that occurs in the wilderness and in fasting, and fasting, I'm going to use this in this way, is a temporary wilderness experience that you have imposed on yourself. Think about that. The lack creates dependency and trust. The the primary thing is humility. And some of you are going through trials right now. And you're in a wilderness. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. You're going, I don't need any more self-imposed stuff on me. And it may be true. You may need to celebrate. You may need the discipline or the practice of celebrating the great goodness of God. Or it may be that you can add to this and maybe hear some more that God wants you to hear. There's four things about this humbling process that God does through fasting, and it's going to be in this passage of Scripture. We're going to look at this, verse 2, 3, 4, 5, and then 6 and on. But verse 2, God exposes your heart. That's the first thing. I'm going to give you these things. Verse 3, God reveals your need, your real need. Verse um, 4 and 5, God builds your character. And the last part, we begin in verse 6 and on, God prepares you for future blessing by reminding you as you go through a fast. So, The very first thing, the Lord your God humbles you and tests you. He proves you in order to know what's in your heart. He wants to know whether you're going to really trust him, whether you're going to move into obedience and walk with him. And obedience doesn't mean it's the next command. The Torah was more like the spirit in that sense. That's what the word actually meant. It was this idea. We get this idea of it being uh, this kind of written thing. It was really the spirit of God through his word directing the heart of someone. So will God through his Holy Spirit be able to direct your heart through his word? 
We are people of the Spirit and the Word. So will he take his Spirit and his Word, and will he have the ability in this time of wilderness, will you begin to let his Spirit begin to work through you? And when that happens, and when you go through a wilderness experience, what happens usually in your life? Anybody want to just admit, when you have a trial, what's one of the first things that happens? If you're like me, you're going, oh, man, come on, God, really? And you find all kinds of things being exposed. It's really possible one of the first things that comes up when you come up against a trial, maybe it's a physical illness or maybe it's, um, you know, you, you've lost a job or need, and it's, one of the first things that comes up is fear. Whoa, I can't control this. And, and then along with that comes this, um, your faith is really tested. Do you really believe God cares about you? And then, and then, and then you begin to start seeing um, ingratitude, which comes up in, in, in the way that you talk about. You can complain and you mumble. That's what happened in the wilderness when they took Israel into the wilderness. What did they do again and again? And in the wilderness, what comes up sometimes is impatience and anger and self-pity. You may find yourself in the wilderness trying to manipulate to get what you think you want, and God is saying, wait, wait. In the desert, fasting from the good life of Egypt. Here's Israel. Fasting from, remember the good life was, oh, whenever they got into the desert and they were really complaining. Remember the leeks and onions we had when we were bound up and working like crazy? Those were the good old days. You see, when, when you fast and you begin to remember the good old days, which aren't always so good, God reveals what's in your heart. Lots of distrust. Often a lack of faith and often a hunger for more of God's gifts rather than God himself. Fasting is a self-imposed wilderness experience. Do it, folks, and watch how hangry you get. God reveals your need, verse 3. Not only does he expose your heart, but he does it in order to reveal, to teach you what's the source of your life. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna. He kept you alive. Neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Fasting, this self-imposed wilderness experience, has the ability, not to just expose, but to reveal what you really need. It forces you to ask, what am I finding my life in? What really brings me joy? Do I find joy merely knowing deeply that God loves me and that he's there to provide for me and he will care for me and that in this relationship, though everything else seems to be kind of a mess or there's a lack, there's fullness because of God and his love. You know, during the 40 days when Jesus was tempted by Satan, guess what the very first temptation was? It's listed in one of the Gospels. One of the first temptations they list is is about food. Satan comes to him and he says, what? Turn these stones into bread. And what does Jesus say in response? Satan, you need to know that my physical life, God's caring, what, what's most important for me is this spirit relationship with my father. Basically, one of the lines that I just grab hold of when I look at this 
is this line of Jesus. And when I fast, this line dominates my thoughts. Every time I feel the temptation to eat, every time I have hunger pangs, every time I feel my lack, I say, Father, my God, I want you more than any other desire. I want to feed on you and your word like Jesus did. You are my source of life, even more than bread or pizza and even chocolate cream pie. I want you. That was supposed to be a little bit of a joke. But anyway, um, I'm, I'm really intense, aren't I? Fasting builds your character. In your fast, you'll find, catch this, in your fast, if you try it and you make space, you'll find you did not die. <laughs> I'm, seriously. God cares for you. God will provide. If you read verse 4 and 5, your clothes did not wear out. Your feet did not swell during these 40 years. I provided even manna for you. Know then in your heart, as a man trains his son, so the Lord God trains you. Let the truth of God's provision and care form your character in your trial. In your wilderness experience, know this. God is building something in you. He is doing something in you. You want his promises. You want his life. But in order for you to really live and to possess that fullness of life, you need to possess that kind of relationship that begins to trust and know that God is going to care for you. And as you walk with him and as you seek him and as you follow him, he will be there. He will care for you. He will provide. And I think it's really interesting when they read this. In the wilderness, they found God faithful. He did take care of them like a father. He did discipline and train them to grow up in their trust and their faith. He was building their character. For example, what you have to look at is Israel. They march out of Egypt. They're marching along, like I said earlier. They could have gone what I call the shortcut, right into the promised land. But in the Old Testament, God says they weren't ready, they weren't prepared, they didn't have the character for it, they could never have defeated the enemy. Because God needed their faith in the, in the possession of that land. He needs your faith in the possession of any bless, anything he wants. That's what he's doing right now in your, in your trial, in your wilderness. This self-imposed fast helps you develop these kind of character-building moments so that God can come in. And he says, he says, you know what, you guys, you're not ready. So what does he do? He, he says to Moses, lead him over here. And Moses leads him to see. And what do the people do? Well, the very first time you see their hearts exposed, they come out and they complain. And they go, man, Moses, what a rotten leader you are. Look what you've done. Look where you've led us. Are you blind? You went right by the shortcut. And Moses follows the Lord, and the Lord says, you know, lift up your staff. I'm going to demonstrate in such a way that they can begin to put faith in me. Because it's when they come to the Jordan River, what's really interesting, he doesn't say, Joshua, lift up your staff. He says, get your ankles deep in there. You need to start, you've, you've had some character developed now, so you need to exercise faith to see your possession of the land. So he stands there and he lifts his arm, and the people go through there, and they go afterwards and go, wow, our God's great. Until when? They're thirsty. And so God takes them through this character-proving time, this bringing about their character. And, and what's so interesting about this is, is God did not only do it for his first son, Israel, he did it also for his very firstborn, his begotten Jesus. He leads him into the desert. Here is Jesus. Think about this. You've got to understand. You've got to get the picture of the Gospels. Jesus has been waiting. He's 30 years of age. He steps out. 
John the Baptist is baptizing. John notices this is the guy the Spirit is resting on. And so he says, and he goes to baptize him. He baptizes Jesus. Even as he says, I shouldn't be baptizing Jesus. Says, yes, I need to be baptized. You baptize, he baptizes him. And it says the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descends on his, his shoulder. It, it's the, it says a dove descends. And here's my understanding of that. People who see the Spirit, people who are really obviously walking and understanding and their spirits are sensitive and aware, they didn't see just a dove. They saw the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is there, and it says the voice from heaven comes down and says, this is my son. I'm so crazy about him. I love him so much. And you have this father-son kind of loving relationship where you go, man, my dad will provide for me anything. And the next thing we find is the Spirit of God takes the Son of God who has just had this experience with the Father of God and leads him, drives him into the wilderness, into the desert where he's now hungry for 40 days. Why? Because even Jesus who in innocence never sinned, is totally like us but without sin. His testing, his character proving, that time in the wilderness, a whole lot of things were happening, but we know one thing was happening. His innocence was moved to virtue. He followed the Father in every way. It was the beginning. And when he came through that experience, what do we find? It says Jesus, who was filled and led by the Spirit, in, cha- in verse 1 of 4, in verse 18, I believe it is, or 14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. You want to see God's power working through you? You want to see the possession of what God wants to give you and to move through you? you got to let him build your faith and character in Christ. As I said at first service, this is not baby food. This is deep. This This is deep teaching in Christ. I think when Paul was saying about the deeper things, he wasn't talking about end times. I think he was talking about this is the stuff for people who really want to walk with God and really want to see God work in their life. They begin to move into this place where they allow the wilderness and they develop within their life practices that open their heart and align their heart to walk with God. And I'm not in any way saying that if you don't fast, you're not a strong believer. I'm not saying that. Please don't hear that. I'm saying that people who follow God develop practices that put their hearts in line with God. Does that make sense? And so here's Jesus fasting with a self-imposed wilderness so that it builds character. I, I wrote, his father is establishing within him the very identity he had just expressed in the baptism. It was in this identity of a father-son relationship that the life of God through the Spirit would flow. This was crucial. After the desert fasting, then Luke writes, Jesus returned in power. And then I wrote, the building of our character and the establishing of our identity that has been expressed through Jesus' death on the cross. So that's his statement of the same sense. Where when on the cross, the Father is shouting out to you, I love you. I'm crazy about you. Some of you need to forgive yourself if you're going to feel my forgiveness. Some of you need to forgive others if you're going to feel my forgiveness. Some of you need to just forgive, be forgiven by me and recognize that you need me. And he shouts out, I love you, and he wants you as a father, son, father, daughter relationship. And he says he's building his character, establishing his identity through what he did, shouting out on the cross. And it's necessary if the power and presence of God is going to flow through you. In the wilderness, we'll all face and teach us that God will care for us and he builds our character and he prepares us for future blessing. Listen to verse 6. 
Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering him. Now catch this, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. God was bringing through a wilderness in order to bless them. You need to know that God wants to bless you. He is not stingy. He's not looking at you going, oh, how much shall I just give him a little bit? He's a father who loves his kids, who loves his kids to grow up in character so they're mature enough to be able to handle the blessing because when he blesses you, you know what he wants you to do with blessing? He wants you to be like him and start blessing others. And that's something that God's trying to teach me, and I think he's trying to teach all of us. Just, you know, I don't have this stuff down, guys. I'm just telling you what the Word of God has to say, and I'm learning some of this stuff as I walk with you. But God blesses me, or he blesses you, in order that we can be a blessing to others. And, and these self-imposed wilderness experiences can sometimes be the way to remind us that the reason God is going to bless us and wants to bless us is so we can do that. So he says this, catch us in verse 7, for the Lord God's bringing you into this really good promised land. And here, you've got to catch us, a land with brooks, streams deep, um, uh, streams, deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills. Where were they coming from? A desert. A land with wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates and olive oil and honey. Where were they coming from? A land where bread will not be scarce and you will not lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. And then he makes a statement. When you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. When you experience blessing, just go, God, thanks so much. I'm so grateful for my wife. I'm so grateful for my family. I'm going to start living the gratefulness instead of complaining. And he says, when you, when you experience this, he says, then be careful, verse 11, and do not forget the Lord your God. Because that's really easy to do. Listen to what he says in verse 16. And he gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble you, catch this, to test you so that it will, in the end, go well with you. He doesn't want to bless you so it just becomes a mess. He wants you to learn. He says in verse 17, you may say to yourself, here's the problem that you'll forget, you may say to yourself in the midst of your blessing, my power and my strength and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Just be really careful because we all can do it. We, God starts building our character. He goes, man, I just, I've just been waiting to bless him. And then I bless him. And then we go, oh, thanks, God. And we forget. And we go, boy, this is really good. And God begins to nod your heart. You know, I'd really love for you to, you, to bless someone else. Like, yeah, but this is, I, I got, this is mine. I did this. And the self-imposed wilderness experience of a fast can force you to remember this could be gone in a heartbeat. This isn't because of you. You may have a lot of skills and a lot of this and that, but the reality is God has touched your life and blessed you. And so this fasting is a reminder. And he builds our character so that through humility and dependence, we'll know when the blessing comes from which it came from. So when should you fast? The very first thing, I, I didn't write this originally when I wrote the message. I wrote it yesterday when I was going over it again. And I wrote the very first thing is this, whenever God's spirit compels you to do so. And learn, you know what? Learn from the master. Pay attention to the spirit of God. 
we sense that God is leading us to take a step and to make space in our life for God to do something. So um, you need to pray. Is God calling me to do that? As we step into this as a body. Another is when you desire greater humility and intimacy with God. You know, I've read a lot through the years of, of great men and women of faith who have walked with the Lord. You know, it's amazing to me how many of them had the practice of fasting in their life. There's one man who had incredible ministry. He, when he started to feel that he was feeling a sense of separateness from God, he would he, sensitive enough in his spirit that he'd go on a fast in order to draw near to God. When you find yourself in a crisis or a time of trouble, I, I wrote in the encounter my experience when I was back in college and, and how God brought me to the passage in Esther, which is a past, passage there, so I'm not going to comment on that. But Second Chronicles 20, you can look at Jehoshaphat. At one point, it says there's a vast army coming against them from Edom. And alarmed, it says in 20 verse 3, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire the Lord, and he proclaimed the fast for all the people, all Judah, in a time of crisis and trouble. Where in his prayer, he says, For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Man can live by, you know, can try to live by bread and can try to live by arms to protect themselves, but only God is the one who protects us, and we understand that, says, says Jehoshaphat. And when you need wisdom, discernment, and direction, Ezra 8, verses 21 to 23, which is a really interesting thing because Ezra has just told the king, God's hand is on us, he's protecting us, no, we don't need any help, and they start going, and he's going, oh, man. There, this could be rough. And, and, they, and he comes to the leaders and he says to the leaders, oh, wow, we can't go back to the king because we told him God's hand is on us, protecting us. So let's declare a fast for direction within the protection. Isn't that interesting? We're going to ask God for wisdom and understanding and direction as he protects us. And then when you uh, sense a time of repentance and a desire for purity, you may be in a place where you're going, God, I just need to repent. And Jonah's a great book on that because Jonah, who God calls as a prophet to go to Nineveh, he turns and goes the exact opposite direction, ends up in the belly of a whale, comes back, goes back to Nineveh, has 40 days, he says, you guys need to repent. What people don't realize is if he wasn't this whale, he was, that's what scripture says, and I say if, I mean, if he, depending what kind of great fish it was, just to be um, biblically correct, he was probably bleached in, in, in that Nineveh city. Um, they worshiped this like God of the fish thing. So this guy's coming in saying he was in the belly of this fish and he's bleached and he starts saying repent gets people's attention. Okay? So that right away gets their attention. So much so that it goes to the king and listen to what the king says. The king makes this proclamation. Do not let the people or the animals or the herds or the flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. If you find something living that's moving, don't let them eat. And and goes beyond that. He says... Um, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And, and he says, let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Who knows, he says, God may yet relent. There may be a desire in your heart for repentance and purity. There may be something that's grabbed a hold of your heart. Uh, maybe an addictive tendency where God is just saying, you know what, maybe I'm calling you into fast. I'm not saying that's alone what you need to do. You need others around. You need to get honest. There's a whole lot of stuff, but... That's a, that's a reason. Uh, and let me share with you the last, and we're going to close on this. And When you long for God's power and presence, when you want more anointing, when you want to be a greater blessing, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, 
What I love about that is there is a church, this church in Antioch. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Rome was about a million people. We didn't see a million people in history till London in the 1800s. So we're talking about a big city, and we're talking about another big city of 500,000 people. And this city was a crossroads of the trade between the east and the west. It was filled with all kinds of people from different places. It was the first church that was filled with Jews, and then a lot of Greeks coming to the Lord, a lot of Gentiles coming to the Lord, who at a certain point were being so blessed by God that a prophet stood up and said, guess what, in Jerusalem and Judea area, there's going to be a famine. So what they do, because they want to be a blessing, is they take an offering. They send Barnabas and Saul. Barnabas and Saul go to Jerusalem, and they give them this incredible gift of money to help them through this time of, of famine and testing. They come back and they're praying to God. They're saying, God, I believe there's people in the church going, God, I have friends and relatives who live in, in Crete and in other places around the world. And God, we just want you to bless others. We, what, do you, what do you want us to do? They're not on a whiteboard. They're not sitting around with a bunch of their best businessmen trying to figure out the plan. They're, they're worshiping and fasting. Calling out on the Spirit of God. And I'm not saying we don't use our minds. We use our minds, our hearts, and everything. But we call out to God in lack and say, God, we want to be a blessing. We want you to use us to bless the world. What does that look like? What do you desire? I think that's what God's calling us to do. So I'm just going to ask us to enter into just a, a, a few minutes here of worship as we just let that digest in your heart.